Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. So we're continuing in the third part of our series on the Holy Spirit called Present. And we are looking at the Holy Spirit's active power within the life of the follower of Jesus and how that power does real things in us, real things through us, right? And so specifically today, we're looking at the power of the Holy Spirit to reproduce the character of Christ in his people. Or another way of putting it, we're looking at the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is actually reproducing the character of Christ in his people. And our main text for this today comes from Galatians 5, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So look with me at Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, as we begin our gathering together, um, I I have a confession to make. I have a black thumb, and I've inherited it from my mother. Okay, so my mom is a part of our church. She moved to Clarksville when Rachel and I moved here. Um, And everybody in our church affectionately refers to mom as Mama Sherry. And uh, I inherited this black thumb from her. And what I mean by a black thumb is that you give us a plant and we will find the quickest way to kill it. Okay, we're an absolute quickest way to kill it. So please just don't give us plants because they're just going to die and it's kind of cruel. Okay, so my mom got a plant that was a gift from one of her friends. And I was actually thinking about this as I was thinking about the sermon. So I I called her today as I'm recording this and uh, I said, hey, mom, what was that plant that your friend from Hendersonville gave you? And my mom didn't even know. She said it was a pretty purple one. That's all she said. So somebody gave mom a pretty purple plant. And uh, my mom was out of town, and she gave it to another lady in our church named Laurel, who's actually probably watching this as this video premieres. And, and Laurel actually took care of it, and she is, she's got a green thumb. And so the things that she cares for as it relates to plants tends to thrive. And so the plant began to thrive as it was hanging out with Laurel. And so my mom ended up giving it to Laurel. And so Laurel now is the owner of my mom's pretty purple plant. So, so why is that, right? Now, here's the thing. Laurel knows the work necessary to care for the plant, and she does it, and she cares for it. And it's nothing against my mom, or as you guys know her affectionately as Mama Sherry. It's nothing against Mama Sherry at all, but Laurel just knows what to do. And and then she does it consistently enough to where those plants thrive. And the young family, quite frankly, just doesn't know what to do with plants, okay? So, so today, I, I kind of want us to be thinking about that as we are starting kind of a two-part mini-series about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and how that connects with the Holy Spirit's power in the life of the follower of Jesus. And so uh, as we begin kind of thinking about this, uh, this predominant theme of walking by the Spirit is something I want us to focus on. Look with me at Galatians 5. 16, which is just a few verses prior to the verse we read earlier. This is what Paul's telling his friends in Galatia. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Paul ends up setting up a, a comparison. He says, the deeds of the flesh are these. And so he goes on and kind of explains those. And then he says, the fruit of the Spirit is this, which is what we just read. And so we see that there is a war raging inside of the follower of Jesus. So there's a war between the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and our flesh. And we actually talked about this last week as we were talking about how the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus and sanctifies us, right? And so we, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of the follower of Jesus, but we also have our natural inclinations, our natural bent towards sin, our natural drift towards passivity, our natural drift towards laziness, our, our natural bent towards doing the things that are opposed of God. That's called the flesh. And Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, they still experience the pull of the flesh. And as we walk by the Spirit in obedience, what happens is, is that the Spirit produces significant life change that counteracts the work of the flesh, that actually counteracts our natural inclinations by giving us even deeper inclinations at coming out of our truest identity as followers of Jesus. So Paul's invitation to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, it actually tells us that we have a choice as followers of Jesus, that we can either submit to the Holy Spirit or we can resist him and quench his power. We can submit to the Holy Spirit or we can resist him and quench his power. Now, with mom's pretty purple plant, here's the thing. The young family can't cause that plant to grow, and neither can Laurel, right? Uh, but what we can do is what Laurel does is she understands what to do to position the plant for growth. So she understands what type of plant it is, right? She understands how much sunlight it needs, how much water it needs. She knows not to overwater it or underwater it. She knows how to put it into sunlight. She knows when to bring it in if it gets too cold and when to put it out when it's getting warm. Just like we cannot change ourselves. Even as followers of Jesus, we cannot change ourselves. However, we can choose to walk by the Spirit or we can keep fulfilling the desires of our own natural fleshly nature and we can resist and quench the Holy Spirit's work. Now, this is where we come to the encouragement at the end of our text that we read at the beginning, Galatians 5.25. This is what it says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by by the Spirit. Again, this is telling us that you can be alive. You can have chosen to follow Jesus and have spiritual life, but you can choose to not walk with the Holy Spirit. You can be a Christian, but not submitted to the Holy Spirit's power. And here's the thing, your life's just going to suck more if you don't do that. Like, if you're not submitting to the Holy Spirit's power, you're just not going to have as good of a life. It's, it's going to be much harder. However, if you do submit to the Holy Spirit's power, your life will be better if you do. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's going to be roses and buttercups and, and like dancing through a field of flowers. That doesn't mean you're not going to experience suffering, but you are going to have, you're going to be equipped better to handle the struggles and the difficulties and the strains of this broken life and this broken world when you walk by the Spirit and you begin to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus. And that's really where we get to this idea of what is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Well, what the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is it's actually God's Spirit changing us to reflect the character of Jesus. So look with me at the main point for today and I'll explain that more. Listen to what it says. When we walk by the Spirit, 
and submit to his power within us, we are changed from the inside out to express the characteristics of Jesus, producing outward change in our lives and relationships. Let me just read that one more time. When we walk by the Spirit and submit to his power within us, we are changed from the inside out to express the characteristics of Jesus, producing outward change in our lives and relationships. My friends, as we talked about last week with sanctification, the Holy Spirit makes us who we are already made to be in Christ. But as it relates to the fruit of the Spirit, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit as like love, joy, peace, patience, all of, these, all of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are actually the characteristics of Christ. Christ was fully loving. He was fully joyful. And that's kind of the approach of how we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit today. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus reproduced in his people. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus reproduced in his people. We're going to look at three points today. We're going to see how the character of Jesus begins with inward change. We're going to see how the character of Jesus continues with outward attitudes. And finally, we're going to see how the character of Jesus concludes with outward behavior. So let's begin by looking first at the first three fruits of the Spirit. When we look at the character of Jesus begins with inward change. So we go back to Galatians 5 and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, and peace. And I've grouped these together because love, joy, and peace are actually related to this idea of inward change. It's an inward experience that happens inside of you, right? And I want to define each of these terminologies because I think that a lot of people that I know have preached through Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, but have never really told us what these things are. And so I want to give us really practical definitions, really practical advice on what these things actually are. So the fruit of the Spirit first is love. Now, my friends, how I've defined love is this. It's a self-sacrificial choice to unite yourself with someone else, valuing them above yourself. Now, this can be in a romantic sense. This could be in a friendship sense. This could be in a familial sense. But it's a self-sacrificial choice to unite yourself with someone else, valuing them above yourself. As Jonathan Edwards actually said in one of his writings, he's a, a Christian theologian, he said, to love someone is to put your happiness into their happiness and your joy into their joy. Like when they are happy, you're happy. When they're joyful, you, you're joyful. Like it's to have an intimate connection, um, to unite yourself with them. But my friends, this is the beauty of the gospel as we begin to look at the fruit of the Spirit, is that actually Jesus loved us first. Look with me at Galatians 2.20. And the life, this is Paul talking, and the life I now live in the flesh, right, that sinful fleshly nature, he says, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, my friends, the only way that you and I can know how to love is if we know the source of love. And actually, Jesus is the model of love. Jesus is the only one who was ever able to perfectly have that self-sacrificial choice. He perfectly united himself with us. He ultimately valued us above himself. And when we love others, we love as we receive Jesus's love and then reflect that love out, that we actually love in the manner 
of Jesus' love. Look with me at John 15, 12. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And it's that last phrase that is so incredibly important. As I have loved you. As we have been loved by Jesus, so we are then equipped to love others. And to the degree that we lean in and walk by the Spirit, right? As we submit our will to God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within the life of the Christian, we can then receive the love of Jesus and then we can then love others as he has loved us. We can make the choices that we need to make to value others above ourselves. That is what true love is. Now that's not, that's just the beginning, right? There's actually quite a lot of these fruit of the Spirit. The next fruit of the Spirit is called joy. And so my definition of joy is this, an intrinsic, deep, abiding, confident happiness that is not contingent on your immediate circumstances, but rooted in a hope of something outside of yourself. Now, my friends, what if I told you that at the most horrific moment in all of human history that has ever happened or ever will happen, that there was actually at its root, there was joy. Now, if we believe that this is true, if we believe that the Bible is true, then we believe that Jesus suffered the punishment for every single sin ever committed by humanity. He experienced all the shame, all the punishment, all the guilt. He experienced separation from his father. Jesus did. Somehow. He experienced ultimate pain guilt, and the punishment for our sins in just the span of a few hours. But look with me at what Hebrews 12 teaches us about what Jesus was feeling on the cross. It says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, On the cross, Jesus was still experiencing joy. And that is so like mind-blowing for me to even try to think about. It's mind-blowing for us to consider that somehow that Jesus had an intrinsic, deep, abiding, confident happiness that was not contingent on his circumstances, but rather it was rooted in the hope of something that he was accomplishing for us. And my friends, if Jesus can have joy on the cross, you and I can experience this fruit of the Spirit in our life. We can have joy in the manner of Jesus's joy. Philippians 4, 4 says these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We rejoice not in that our circumstances are going to change, but we rejoice in Jesus. Jesus is the source and center of our joy. And as we walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit allows us to both receive the same joy that Jesus somehow felt on the cross, and then we can have that joy in Jesus, and we can express that joy to others. Finally, as we continue to look at the character of Jesus beginning with inward change, we see that part of this inward change also involves peace. And how I've defined peace is this, a universal, connected, internal, flourishing, thriving oneness and wholeness. My friends, 
Jesus actually gives us his peace. He actually says, I've got peace, and I'm going to give you my peace when I leave this earth. Look with me as Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 14, and how peace is connected with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Look with me here. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I've said to you. Peace I leave to you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you see the the connection? He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. He is equating peace with the Holy Spirit right here. He says the Holy Spirit is the peace that God gives us. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' peace, and it's Jesus' gift to the Christian. And so this is a peace that's separated from this world, that's not rooted in this world. It's actually extraterrestrial, right? It's totally out of this world. It's a peace that's not rooted in what happens here and now, but it's rooted in what Jesus has already done for us. It's rooted in the Holy Spirit at being within our hearts in those who follow Jesus. We do not have to be ruled by fear. We can have peace because Jesus has sent his peace. He has sent his spirit. So my friends, as we begin to look at the character of Jesus and reflecting the character of Jesus, as we begin to look at the fruit of the spirit, it begins with an inward change. It's actually got to have an inward experience. These, these three words actually shape us. They begin to change us from the inside as we walk by the Spirit. Now, that's not just what happens. We also see how the character of Jesus continues with outward attitudes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. So we've grouped patience and kindness together because those relate to external attitudes in our relationships. They relate to external attitudes, right? So Patience. As we begin to look, we begin to reflect the character of Christ, which is patience. So this word patience, another actually word for it, if you look at different translations, it'll also use the word forbearance. This idea of long-suffering, this is how I define as the passive expression of love. My friends, the Holy Spirit isn't just for joy and love, but it's also for bearing with the sins bearing with the insecurities, the hurts, the angers, and the pains of others that they might even inflict on us. Like this idea of long-suffering means that I can bear with the weight of other people's abuse towards me. I can actually absorb that pain and give it to Jesus. And he gives me grace with that exchange. Now, I want to be really clear here. Um, uh, there's, this is not a universal blanket statement. What I'm not saying is that if you're in an abusive relationship with a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance, if you are being abused in some way, shape, or form, what I'm not saying is this automatically says just stay there because if you walk by the Spirit, he'll give you patience and you can just be a punching bag, right? Maybe literally or figuratively. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that in the life of the Christian, many times we are called to be like Jesus. And Jesus was falsely, falsely accused and didn't have to defend himself. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, and he didn't defend himself. Jesus was falsely accused of trying to incite an insurrection against the Roman government, 
And that was part of how the Jews were able to get the government to sanction his death. And Jesus, in those moments, was patient. He was forbearing. Look with me at 2 Peter 3, 9 that looks at the patience of Jesus. Look at what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. My friends, what we see both in the life of Jesus, but also in the history of God throughout the entirety of the Bible is that he has shown us an infinite amount of patience. He is born with our sins. He has long suffering. He has been, he has given us forbearance. He has said, I will love you. I will be patient with you. I will wait for you. And many times, I'm not saying every time, But many times the Christian is called to exhibit patience towards the people in our life that might even hurt us, that might even harm us. We are called to give patience to them. That is the passive expression of love. Now, this is where we get to the second part of this kind of outward attitude, kind of the external attitudes and relationships, this idea of kindness. Now, kindness is defined as a genuine expression of care, concern, and longing for the good of others, which is an active expression of love. And my friends, Jesus is in the embodiment of the active kindness of God, which is lavished on those whom he loves. Look with me at Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. My friends, Jesus has shown us kindness. He has shown us an incredible, genuine expression of care and concern for our well-being. He longs for our good and has entered into the world to love us, to be kind to us. And the Bible even says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. This is what actually leads us to genuine faith, hearing, believing, and obeying the gospel of Jesus. It actually leads us to that when we realize how kind God has been towards us. And so walking by the Spirit, it actually changes our outward attitude towards others. And it builds on the internal experience of God's Spirit. So as we experience love and joy and peace, that internal experience, it then gives birth to an outward change in our attitude towards other people. See, this is relationship. This is in community. And this is is about our attitudes. But the attitudes just don't stay attitudes. They actually change how we move into behavior. And that leads us to our third point. The character of Jesus concludes with outward actions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now that goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is external expressions of that inward character. So remember we talked about how before it was um, of patience and kindness was an external attitude, right? It's how you perceive others. Now these are actually expressions of that love, joy, and peace, and the patience and kindness. These four words are showing the expression of that of, towards other people. So the inward change gives birth to outward attitudes, which then grow into changing our actions. First, we look at goodness. This literally means doing good towards others. Now, my friends, this could not be better 
looked at through the lens of Christ. Jesus embodied the goodness of God towards us. He embodied his action for us is the ultimate act of doing good for us. Look with me at Titus 3, 4 to 5. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us according to his own mercy. You see, the goodness of God appeared in the person of Jesus. And because he is good, because he does good towards you and me, he saved us. And if Jesus has done good towards you and me, and we receive that by faith, and we walk by the Spirit, we actually submit to the Spirit's power, we can then do good towards others without needing anything in return, without needing a pat on the back, without needing people to acknowledge what we're doing. We actually can do good towards others genuinely out of a heart that doesn't need anything in return because Jesus has done that for us. Now, that doesn't end there. This external expression of this personal character change also moves into faithfulness. How we've defined that is unwavering devotion to God and to others. Unwavering devotion to God and to others. My friends, of course Jesus embodied this. And he embodied the faithfulness of God on the cross. He was unwavering in his devotion to save us through the sacrifice of his own life. And he still remains faithful even now. Look with me at this beautiful promise in 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He is remaining faithful to us. He was faithful on the cross. He is faithful to continue to sustain our faith, even if we are faithless. You see how we don't need, this is not a tit for tat. This is not, uh, Jesus doesn't say, okay, I've done my part, you do your part. He says, I've done my part and I've done your part and I'm going to equip you to continue to keep walking in this faithfulness for the rest of your life. Next, we move on to gentleness. My friends, this is so important, and it's so necessary to understand what gentleness is, especially in Clarksville, especially in a military context, in a military culture where most people had spent 20 years of their career in an environment that does not celebrate gentleness at all. But this is what gentleness is. Gentleness is humbly considering others as more important than yourself or your desires or your goals. Humbly considering others as more important than yourself or your desires or your goals. And my friends, Jesus embodied the humble gentleness of God. He laid aside his power. He laid aside his rights. He diminished himself to serve us, to meet us in our weakness. Look with me at Matthew 11. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to these words. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And my friends, especially the men who are watching this, who are supposed to be leading your family, my question for you is this. Does this mark you? Does gentleness mark you? Does it mark your life? Does it mark your interactions with others? My friends, this is such a difficult struggle for men especially. And the Bible actually talks about how we are supposed to be gentle towards our family. It says, don't be harsh towards your wife. Don't cause your children to sin. 
And so the root of that is by submitting, by walking by the Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit change you and bring gentleness into your life. Finally, we see that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And we define this by saying it's self-restraint for the purposes of benefiting others. So there's an idea of self-control that says you can have self-control, but it could be like selfish, right? So when we say self-control, it's self-restraint for the purpose of benefiting others. And Jesus embodied God's self-control by patiently enduring death at the hands of the very people that he created. And this is our inspiration. This is our goal. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we are able to exercise self-control. We are able to not grow weary or faint-hearted in being patient, having self-restraint, not saying that biting, cutting thing that maybe we might want to say. We do that because Jesus, while on the cross, endured hostility from sinners like you and me. And he didn't try to defend himself. He endured it. And you and I can endure the barbs of others. And we can also practice self-control when you want to send that text message back, when you want to respond in that way. You can say, no, I don't have to do this. Why? Because Jesus didn't do this when I deserved his. When I deserved him to just fully exert the power of God over me, he didn't do that. He actually withheld it. He suffered on the cross for me. And I can exhibit self-control as well. You see how it's all rooted in Jesus. My friends, every aspect of this fruit of the Spirit, it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And every aspect of this fruit actually now is attainable as you walk by the Spirit and you don't fulfill your innate fleshly desires. As we said before, we'll say it again, the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus reproduced in his people. It's the character that Jesus lived, the perfect life. It is reproduced in you. It is reproducing the character of Jesus. How? Well, just to recap, it begins with the inward change, right? Starting at the root of who you are, the base of who you are, at the core of who you are, it changes you to experience love, joy, and peace as you walk by the Spirit. Then it continues with changing your outward attitudes towards others. You become more patient. You become more kind. You're seeing others differently, right? And then when you are changed, you have an inward change of love, joy, and peace. You begin to see others differently. Then you begin to act towards them differently. And then it finds its fullest expression in your outward actions towards others. You can have kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And it is so important, church, for us to understand that all of these actually connect with the corporate church, not the individual. I have always, my whole life, as I've studied these passages, and I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, I've read this hundreds of times, I'd imagine, but I've never understood it from a corporate vantage point, always from a personal, individualistic standpoint, right? I've always thought love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things were all just about me, right? And as I walk by the Spirit, I'm experiencing these things myself, right? But they're not. They're in the context. If we read the context, I've been reading it this week and studying it. If you look at Galatians 5, this is all in the context of the family of faith. And you actually can't express the fruit of the Spirit without being in a church family, right? You can't be patient and kind in a vacuum, right? You can't practice goodness and gentleness 
and self-control in a vacuum. You've got to work this stuff out in a family of faith. And you can still be a Christian, but you cannot walk in obedience with the Spirit, separated from community. All of this is done within the context of a church family. You cannot be obedient to the commandments of Jesus without being in a church family. And you know, we talked last week about the Holy Spirit making Christians into who they are already made to be in Christ. And what we see today is that walking by the Spirit, reproducing the character of Jesus in obedience to him, this is the Christian becoming who you are already created to be. Now, if you're watching this, if you're tuning in, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. This can be you today. This can be your life. This expression of love, peace, patience, kindness, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is only possible when you are filled with God's spirit doing the work in your life. It's God's spirit that's actually doing the work to accomplish that love and joy and peace. And you are only filled with God's spirit when you hear, believe, and obey the message of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to follow Jesus today. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're watching this, I want you to believe that Jesus has loved you. To believe that Jesus is the source of your joy. That you can have a deep abiding wholeness in your life, a peace rooted in what Jesus has done for you. That you can be kind towards others because God has been kind to you. You can exhibit patience because God is infinitely patient with you, bearing with you in your sin and rebellion. And then you see that Jesus has practiced goodness towards you by taking your punishment in your place. That Jesus is faithful to you to lead you back to the Father. That he is gentle with you and not harsh. And that he has exhibited self-control by withholding his wrath and giving you his grace. Now, if you believe that that is true for you, you then can obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. And if you hear, believe, and then obey by making Jesus Lord over your life, that's what makes you a Christian. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to live out of the fruit of the Spirit by becoming a Christian today. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're tuning in, this can be you, but it's not guaranteed. You see, this is why Paul adds the caveat that you need to walk by the Spirit who has already given you his life, but there are ways that we can resist the Spirit's work and quench his Spirit, or we can submit, we can walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of our flesh, our natural man. So let me give you just three tips on how to do this. And it's going to be the same three tips that you guys have been seeing for a while, and that's okay. We're going to keep sharing these tips until everybody's doing them because this truly does change your life. So this is how you walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It should be on the screen here. It's one, read the Bible three times a week for 15 minutes. It's just that simple. Be in the Scriptures. The Bible says these words have life. This word is living and active. The Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut between joints and marrow. This is able to help you. This is a living, breathing document that God's Spirit uses <clears throat> to change your life. Be in the Scriptures just a few times a week. I really want you in the Scriptures every day, but that's hard. We're busy. Things happen. 
I don't even think Jesus, Jesus didn't carry a Torah scroll around with him and open it every day, right? But he had a frequency of reading the scriptures. We actually can track certain periods of Jesus's life um, in like granular, like day by day, right? And there's certain days where he didn't have time to pray. He was with people. He was doing ministry from sunup to sundown, right? But it says, as was his custom, he went away to pray. He had a rhythm in his life of reading the scriptures and of prayer. And that's what I want for you. So that's why I just suggest read the Bible 15 minutes three times a week. This will help you walk by the Spirit. Next, attend a group weekly to hold you accountable to walking by the Spirit. Like, this is helpful. We have a tendency to drift away. And so attending group consistently, having other people speak into your life, reading the Bible with a group of people will help you walk by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you through those people in your life. And maybe even encourage you to start a group of your own. And then also attend a corporate gathering of believers, which by the way, this is what you're doing right here. It's online. We make it really easy. You can be in bed. You can be in your PJs. You can pull up your phone. Watch it. That's all. Consistently hear the word of God preached over you by someone who loves you, who cares for you. By the way, side note, totally tangent, rabbit trail. If I've ever met you in Clarksville, you go on a list. You go on a spreadsheet, and I pray for you every single week. I pray for every person that I've ever met in Clarksville every single week. And when I prep these sermons, I don't prep them in a vacuum. I am praying for the people in our church that I am hopeful are watching this, right? I hope I'm just not talking to the ether, right? Because I'm literally looking at camera right now in an empty room. And so I really hope that you're watching this, and I hope that you're engaging with this, because guess what, church? I pray for you. I pull up a document that has the people that are a part of Redeeming Hope. And I pray for you when I prep these sermons. And so if you read the scriptures three times a week for 15 minutes, you attend a group weekly where you're getting poured into. And, and then you're also like attending these corporate gatherings. Come when we're in person. Watch this when it's online. I really do believe that this is going to help you not gratify the desires of your flesh. Just do it. It's so simple. Just Nike it up, right? Just do it. It's simple. And doing these few basic practices will solve so many of your problems. Now, my friends, it won't solve all of them, right? There's some besetting desires of the flesh. There's some sins that reading the Bible and coming to a group and coming to a gathering, it doesn't help you get victory over. And if you're struggling with those things and you want help with that, I want you to text me. 931-326-4512. We can meet together. We can work through that. And we've seen people overcome besetting sins in this church. We've seen them overcoming the desires of the flesh that aren't resolved just by reading the Bible and praying and showing up to group and coming to the gatherings. There's certain things that are so deeply ingrained in us that it takes counseling and it takes pastoral care and it takes community and it takes a plan. And I want to help you with that. So if you'll just text me, 931-326-4512. If it's pornography, if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's, if it's illicit sex, if it's anything like that, if you're struggling with those things, reach out. This is not a place that you need to hide from. This is a place that you can run to when you're hurting, when you're in pain, and when you're struggling. And we will walk with you through this. Now, my friends, as we conclude our time together, I want to go back to my mom, right? Um, I told you my mom had a black thumb, right? And that's the young family has, has kind of inherited that. Uh, we just don't do well with plants. But my friends, my mom has planted something more than a pretty purple plant. My mom has planted gardens 
of gentleness in her life. My mom has planted gardens of love and peace and friendship with women throughout her life to the extent that they beg her to come back to Maryland. Her friends beg her to come to Maryland. And when she's in Maryland, our friends here in Tennessee beg her to come back to Tennessee. My mom has embodied the kindness of Jesus to so many people that people in our church right here at Redeeming Hope, they call her Mama Sherry. She's everybody's mama, right? And I think that that's an invitation for you and me. The life of my mom, the example of my mom, is an example for you and me. And as we end, I want to read us this passage of Scripture, what the kingdom of God looks like. What does it look like when we walk by the Spirit? Right? What's a, maybe a, a, an analogy or an example of what that might look like? Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. My friends, when we walk by the Spirit, we grow to produce fruit in the desert of this world. And our branches that are spread out can provide shade and nourishment for those of the most vulnerable around us. When we walk by the Spirit and submit to His power within us, we are changed from the inside out to express the characteristics of Jesus, producing outward change in our lives and relationships. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this online gathering. We hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.